0: Hello, Falcon fans. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of On the Wing, the Cedar Crest Athletics Podcast. I am LJ Smith, the Director of Athletic Communications at Cedar Crest College, and I will be your host. In this very special episode, I am joined by Sarah Wolcott, the Associate Athletic Director and Senior Woman Administrator at Cedar Crest College. We will have the honor to interview Dr. Diane Moyer, She is a professor of psychology here at the college, as well as the faculty athletic representative. Dr. Moyer was a four-sport athlete at LaSalle University and represented the United States in the 1980 and 1984 Olympics as a member of the field hockey team, where she won the bronze medal in Los Angeles. I am so excited for everyone to hear this episode. So without further ado, let's get this interview started. And thank you again for joining us on On the Wing, the Cedar Crest Athletics podcast. I am with guest host Sarah Wolcott, and we are joined by Dr. Diane Moyer, a psychology professor and the faculty athletic representative here at Cedar Crest College, but also an Olympic medalist. Dr. Moyer, how are you doing this afternoon?
1: I'm doing fine. Thank you. It's welcome to be here.
0: Thank you. Uh, for being a part of today's podcast i appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to be here with us this afternoon but before we kind of dive deep into your history uh, tell us a little bit about yourself
1: um as you mentioned i teach in the psychology department i have been at cedar crest for uh, a number of years about 25 love it Um, enjoy very much going to the sporting events um, I went to LaSalle University and was an athlete there and played in a number of sports. Um, also spent some time coaching before I went into full-time teaching and uh, coached hockey, basketball, and cross at the collegiate level and coached at Yale University and Villanova University and Holland's University. So it's a pleasure to be here with you today.
0: That's more than impressive. Thank, thank you for sharing that.
2: More than impressive, Diane, and I think a little humble. You said you were a an athlete at LaSalle, but you weren't just an athlete, right? Like you were a four-sport athlete at LaSalle University. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Sure. Um, that's not probably something most people would even hear of today because I think, you know, sports needs to, it's very different. We are focused a little bit more and, and things are a little bit more competitive and challenging, but I originally went to college to play basketball. So I was recruited to play basketball and chose to go to LaSalle and also played softball. And um, it turned out that they didn't have a goalie for their field hockey team. So it wasn't my intent when I went to college to to play sports, to, to play field hockey. So but they needed a goalie. And I said, OK, um, I'll give that a shot. And so um, and then somehow somehow. Um, Field hockey started getting um, going very well, and the coach, she asked me if I would kind of try to go out for some other teams and get a little bit more experience, and she thought I had a future, and one thing led to another. I was doing pretty well, and so I gave up playing basketball to focus on field hockey, Um, and then the swimming and diving coach kind of knew I had a little background in swimming and diving, and they were like, well, would you be interested? So I was able to juggle that um, with, with the field hockey, um, a little bit more than I could basketball. And so I did, uh, swimming and diving for, for two years as well in college, but my senior year was just field hockey and, and softball.
2: I mean, that is just amazing. I have no other words for it. I can't even imagine juggling all of that. Plus obviously being a student as a student part of the student athlete, that is just wild. That's great. Thanks. You're welcome.
0: And you weren't just a student athlete. All of these accolades got you into the LaSalle Athletics Hall of Fame as the first female student athlete. Can you reflect on what that means?
1: Um, It's an honor um, to be among. There were a lot of really fantastic athletes at LaSalle University. Um, One of the couple Olympians actually that I was there with as well. Michael Brooks who played on the men's basketball team and Kathy McGay, who was also on the field hockey team who was inducted to the hall of fame. She was with me on the 84 Olympic team and um, Edwin Bowen who was also an Olympic swimmer. So it was an honor to be inducted into their hall of fame.
2: That is fantastic. Congratulations on, on that again. Um, now you mentioned that you know the structure of sports and maybe the ability to juggle things um is different now than it than it was then i'm not i i'm sure that it regardless of the year that that was uh, tremendously difficult but what what was it like in terms of the grassroots youth sports climate growing up what sort of experiences did you have really even prior to going to LaSalle and participating in all of those um, athletic programs?
1: That's a good question. Um, looking back at, uh, you know, when I grew up, the opportunities for women were, were so much more limited um, than they were for men. I think it was because of both the stereotypes of women's physical abilities and also social roles that kind of reflected the ideas of what was right for boys to do and what was right for girls to do. When I was in elementary school, we didn't have an opportunity to play sports. The closest thing that I was able to do was to be the manager of the boys' baseball team, and, which was fun. Um, but I was fortunate to have a brother who was an athlete, and he, he let me play sports with him and his friends. So that, to me, was, was an honor. But women didn't have the opportunities to participate in sports. Activities were probably more recreational than they were competitive. Um, it wasn't until I got into junior high school that I actually had the opportunity to play intramurals. Um I played mural basketball. We wore tunics. I, I know many people don't even know what tunics are, but they're like dresses. And, and that was, that was our, our attire. That was our outfits. Um, and also that was the time when we played six on six. It wasn't five on five. Um, six on six, there were two people on the team that had to stay in the defensive end. And then there were two that would be able to go into the offensive end. And then two would go um, both office, could, could travel both offense and defensive. So of course you can guess which one I wanted to be. So, um, so those, those were like some of the early times we didn't really have the opportunity. So it, it was limited um, during my, um, I'd say elementary and junior high Changed a little bit as you know, time went on, though. But a little bit different in high school. Um, um, high school, I would say, the opportunities continued to be limited, but thanks to Title IX, um, which was around that time, um, and the work of the International Olympic Committees. Um, the, the women, in, women in Sports Commission on the International Olympic Committee, they really helped um, um, women, I think, the opportunities for women to grow. So even, even though challenges existed for female athletes, we were at least now had a chance to compete against other schools. Um, and during that time, there, there weren't any audiences. I mean, we, we played just because we loved to play. So that's when I played four years of basketball in in high school and four years of softball. Um, And that's when I was also a swimmer and a diver for the YMCA, YWC actually at that time. And um, so my basketball, that's when my basketball, my softball teammates were trying to recruit me for field hockey, but I had no idea how to play the sport. Um, So my senior year, the field hockey team needed a goalie. That's how it started and I thought well you know I, I can do that you know I didn't have any stick work I didn't how to play but I, I figured I could just step in the goal um, so I gave up swimming and, and played field hockey my senior in high school. Um, I, I remember in high school we had the opportunity during the summer to go to camps and, and we went to basketball camp every summer and it was at the camps that the college coaches began to recruit me. I, I never even thought of going to college um, and I'm thankful for the opportunities that sports gave me. Um, I mean, as a result, I got a scholarship Attended to play basketball. Um, I think it was the Equal Rights Movement and Title IX that, that helped pave the way for, for women to compete in sports. So that was a little bit of what it was
2: like for me in elementary, middle school, and, and high school. Yeah, and that's just, that's just amazing, just knowing you and having had you know, conversations with you and, and, you know, I've heard you speak with our students and give presentations to a number of different people. The idea that Diane Moyer didn't think she was going to go to college is just that I, that is mind blowing to me. And here, here we are sports being the gateway to all things in my life so that that's just you know fantastic and eye-opening and you're sitting here as a Dr. Diane Moyer now and thank you basketball for bringing us Diane Moyer right now
1: (laughs) Uh, you know it's it's because of sports that I have a an undergraduate degree and and some master's degrees and and a PhD and and a a life of of coaching and teaching that I, I would not trade for the world
2: that's just, that's just really great and really inspiring. So after high school obviously is, is when field hockey started to really become a, a major contender for you. Was it, was it shortly after you arrived at LaSalle? Or was there a little bit of a, a buffer period in between basketball and field hockey and softball and swimming and all the other stuff that you were doing?
1: Well, I went to to LaSalle. Um, It's the school I chose. I I was impressed with the coaching staff. And and it felt like home when I visited. So I went there to play basketball, and I also played softball. I didn't plan on playing field hockey in college, but the coach did approach me because they didn't have a goalie. (laughs) So I said, of course. Um, I said, yes, I'll play. So um, that's how that started. And and I had a successful first year playing field hockey. And the coach encouraged me to, to try out for some local teams to get more experience. And I, I, I was grateful for her encouragement and support. Uh, my sophomore year, I went to the National Field Hockey Trials, and I made the United States team. And it wasn't then... Um, at that point I gave up playing basketball so I could pursue a little bit more of my hockey career. I, it was very hard. I think the basketball coach and the hockey coach talked before all that happened. And, um, but I decided I would do that. And so the spring of my sophomore year, I was selected to uh, go on to the first international tour representing the United States. And I remember we went to Trinidad and Tobago and Barbados and, um, that was the little side note that I had for you, that when I gave up basketball, that was when the swimming and diving coach asked me if I would compete a little bit for the next two years. So I, I did that, um, but then went back to focusing on field hockey and softball. But, but like I said, those were the days when you really could play more than one sport. So um, people, you don't really hear of too many people doing that today. But luckily I was able to juggle athletics and academics. Um, and you know also be able to tour and do some things like that and the faculty were were very supportive
2: and your team at LaSalle your field hockey team was very successful right you guys have you have you have an olympic medal of course which is you know the the pinnacle of all things but you have an an NCAA national title under your belt too don't you
1: well, um, when we, when I first went there, there, there probably weren't even enough to field the team. We just kind of knocked on a few doors and said, if you could hold a field hockey stick, would you come out and play? <laughs> uh, so yes, it was four years later that they went on to win the National Division II Championship, it was, um, in, in field hockey.
2: So yeah, it went a long way. That is, that's a, that's a long way to go. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's right, just incredible. Uh, I remember, um, Yep,
1: yeah, it was great.
2: It really I, was. I'm sure that it I was. I wasn't going to te- go in the cage, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be a part of something that, you know, it was, sounds to me like it was built from the ground up, like you went from the basement to, you know, the penthouse suite in a very short period of time. That's just, that's fantastic, Diane. It really is.
1: Uh, we, we had uh, a lot of great players and, and we had a fantastic coach. So um, she was very inspiring. Awesome. We had fun. Awesome.
2: Good. So now shed a little light on, you know, the transition now, maybe from college athletics into, um, you know, the U.S national team, the, the Olympic Games. How did all of that transpire? And, and what was that like?
1: Well, there was a, there was a little bit of an overlap. Um, so the, the way we try out for the team is you have these trials you have to go to every year. And that was really what I was starting to do my sophomore year in college. And, and I made the the one tour. So the top 16 players are selected to represent the United States in international play. Wow! And so then after several years of successful international competition, the the top nations are then invited to the world cup championships. And, and then the top finishers of the world cup championships are going to qualify for the Olympics. So I tried out for the U S team, my sophomore year in college and continued to make it. To the 1980 Olympics, which were in Moscow, and unfortunately, the United States and many other countries boycotted the 1980 Olympics because of political reasons. So it was sad. Um, that was my senior year in college. Um, was was so I was playing internationally as well with the college and, and trying to juggle and going international tours. And um, but when I graduated, then in in College after the '80 Olympics, I continued to trial for the U.S. team and competed in several countries: Germany, Holland, Australia, New Zealand, England, etc. And we were really just doing a great job internationally. And we got invited to the World Cup Championship in 1983 in Vancouver, Canada, and placed in the World Cup Championships and got a berth to the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles.
2: That's it's just <laughs> so. That is just so so great, and I of course want to get to the nineteen eighty four games because that is that is just that's why we're here. We're here to talk about your Olympic medal for sure. But as you were talking about, um, you know, the eighty games in in Moscow and the United States, of course, not participating. I got me kind of thinking and drawing a parallel with, of course, it's not the same thing, but you know, what our athletes have experienced over the last year and having Mm -hmm. preseasons and NCAA championships and conference championship opportunities kind of taken away from them just like that. And, um, you know, I, I'm curious on what that process was like for you, understanding that it's not exactly the same. And then, kind of in the same breath, do you see a parallel with that too? And and if so, how can how can we get through it? <laughs> well, you
1: know, in the nineteen eighty, I I tend to be a little optimistic. I remember we were in a European country competing, and the coach came on the bus and said, "I have some some bad news for you." And, this was April. And I thought, oh, you know, there's still time. They'll, they'll figure this out. So obviously the boycott was, was going to happen. And I think then the transition really for me was, am I going to go on for another four years? And I think that's similar to some of these athletes, even it's one year out. Some of them, you know, their, their ability and, and life and different things have changed. And some may not be able to compete in the 2021 games. Um, and we were fortunate, I guess I was fortunate, that out of the 16 team players on our team, 13 of us decided to continue on to '84, and I think that's what made us such a good team was that we had quite a bit of experience playing together for quite a long time. Um, and it was it was a commitment. Was it, it you know were we able to do it for another four years physically? Could we do it for another four years? You know financially? You know putting putting your lives on hold. Um, it was it was a big commitment, but. Um, so that was, you know, sometimes not everybody was able to do it, but we had 16 were able to do it. Um, or 13 out of the 16 were able to continue on to the 84 games.
2: That's great. That's really great. So um, transitioning them into the, the 84 games, what was that experience like?
1: Uh, every time I talk about it, it tears me up a little bit, but which is great. Um, I I feel extremely honored and proud to have been given the opportunity to represent my country at the Olympic Games um, and and to inspire the next generation of women athletes. Um, I remember the opening ceremonies, which started with the the raising of the host country's flag and and the performance of the national anthem. It was so amazing to have the Olympics in the United States and to have our national anthem played. Uh, The host country marches in last. And I remember um, under this tunnel, all the countries would be lined up alphabetically and we were kind of last and we finally got to march into the stadium. And and you heard this, USA, (laughs) USA, it was so awesome. At first I thought, oh, why in the United States? I want to go to another country, but (laughs) it turned out to be the most amazing. I think then after we marched into the stadium, the next came the most, I think anticipated moment of the ceremonies was the lighting of the torch and uh, the official announcement that the games have begun. Um, I remember um, the feeling of playing in the stadium and in front of the home crowd. Um, After two weeks of competing, uh, the medals were awarded. Stepping on the podium was, for me, absolutely amazing. It was a huge feeling of pride and and a very emotional experience. We were part of history, We, we both, um, we were history in the fact that we both were competing for the first time as a women's field hockey event and also won the country's first Olympic medal in field hockey and uh, so we, we didn't dominate the sport um, and we were up there on on the podium so that was that was really an honor um and then, and then we had the closing ceremonies. Um, we all marched back into that stadium. Lionel Richie came out singing. Um, all the athletes again were there to, to have a, an emotional reunion and celebration of the Olympic events. So it was, it was a lot of fun.
2: It certainly sounds like a lot of fun. I can, I can only imagine. And I, I can only imagine how you feel about it because I was kind of starting to tear up if I'm being honest with you while you were talking about it. And I sure as heck wasn't there. (laughs) I've never been close to it.
0: (laughs) I have goosebumps just hearing your experience. Like this is such a a unique story that you got to experience first with a a team and a sport Mm -hmm. and bring the first medal. It's, it's more than, I, I can't even say it's just an accomplishment. It's so much more than that. It's an understatement. And like, I, 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 I I'm speechless just being able to talk to you and have you at our college at knowing your story. It's, it's incredible.
2: Thank you. Every time you stop talking, I'm like, Wow. I mean, the last for words now, <laughs> how do we, follow? Absolutely. how are we going to follow that story out? <laughs> um, so we'll try. Um, did you, did you feel like there was ever a difference while you were competing um, in, you know, the distinction between female athletics and male athletics? Um, Was that ever, whether it was at the Olympics, Olympic games, whether it was, you know, growing up, having to just play with your brother, starting out when you were younger, did you ever feel like there was a a differential and different treatment for female athletes?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things, you know, I'll talk about the games, the Olympic games, um, because I think I mentioned a little bit of the disparity early on in my career, but you know, during the, during the games, all the athletes lived in the Olympic Village. Um, not only did it provide a place to meet athletes from the United States, but it was amazing that we could meet and experience um, athletes from all over different nations, which was quite an, an honor. Men and women had access to the same facilities. Uh, we had the same apparel, we had the same transportation and access to the events. And you know, so that was, that was an amazing experience. There's still room for growth there. But, but I do want to say something about the female athletes in the 1984 Olympics, um, which I got to know a lot of them really well, and the men. The men's basketball team actually lived on our floor, so that was kind of fun. <laughs> um, but several United States women made history in 1984. Uh, Joan Benoit. Was the first women's uh, Olympic women's marathon? I remember being at her event, and we would win. It was in the stadium where she would come in and do the last lap, you know, around the track, and and that would be the end of the marathon. Um, So she won the first Olympic women's um, gold medal in the marathon. Um, Connie Carpenter, Finney, um, and Rebecca Twig finished um, first and second um, in the first Olympic women's cycling road race. Mary Lou Retton became the first American woman to win the gymnastics all around gold medal. Uh, the women's basketball team won the gold medal. Um, so it was, it was a great year. And so we're all, you know, there were so many other, you know, Greg Louganis did the diving, you know, and all, a lot of great men as well. So, um, so that was really neat to see women make um, some real history in, in the 84 Olympic games.
2: Awesome. Do you feel like knowing, um, knowing obviously all of those accomplishments and recognizing that, do you feel like the media coverage, um, for those specific women or, you know, other, other sports and other events, um, was equal? How do you feel like it compared to that coverage of, you know, male counterparts?
1: I think the Olympic coverage of male and female athletes is a little bit more equitable than non-Olympic sports. Um, however, there's still an imbalance. Uh, there's was, there was still an imbalance. But um, as a result of that imbalance, though, the International Olympic Committee has launched an initiative on gender equality. Um, and they aim to, to make a greater equality a priority in the Olympic movement for the 2021 Tokyo Games. So uh, we still need to continue to grow the future women's sports. Um, we've come a decent way. And, you know, how are we going to continue to grow women's sports? It, it, one, we need to. Keep allowing young girls the opportunity to play. Um, we need to give them amazing role models to follow. And we need to motivate them to push harder for their own inclusion. And, and let's see if Tokyo is going to have its 50-50, you know, with participation and, and all of the other, hopefully, um, gender equality that they're trying to, to make present for the next Olympic Games. So.
0: Are you looking to get your hands on some Cedar Crest Falcons gear? Head over to cedarcrestathletics.com and click the link under the tab Fan Zone to find our Falcon Sideline store. Each month, there is a promotion that offers a discount to all things Falcons from hats, hoodies, shirts, and more. Head to our Falcon Sideline store today, powered by BSN Sports. Stout Associates certified public accountants provide accounting, tax, and consulting services to small and family-owned businesses by becoming a part of the team. To find out more, visit stoutcpas.com. Stout CPA is proud to sponsor Cedar Crest College Athletics. Epic Tours is the exclusive charter bus company for Cedar Crest College Athletics. Specializing in group travel by motor coach, Epic Tours can accommodate trips ranging from corporate events to wedding shuttles to cross country trips. When planning your next trip, call Epic Tours at 844 Epic Bus or visit them on the web at epictoursgroup.com. The Lehigh Valley Health Network is the primary health care provider for Cedar Crest College Athletics. LVHN, a passion for better medicine.
2: I don't think I knew you played four sports in college. I knew about the basketball and the field hockey crossover, but then I was. I can't even.
1: Both of the coaches, because it was right at the start of basketball season. We were already in basketball season. And so the field hockey coaches figured if I could practice a little bit more field hockey, I probably would get a little better. (laughs) And so they said, take a week off. Oh, man. I was like, so we had a track above the courts. And so I went up there and I'm on the track watching the girls, the, the women play. And the men were in the other you know, court. And I cried. I'm like, I can't do this. I mean, because that was like my love. You know, I feel like it was something I'm just learning.
2: Can't even imagine.
1: That was really hard. But I think the basketball coach was very supportive as well. And what a decision it was. It was, But everybody, I would go away for weeks during the spring and, and go over to Europe or wherever we were playing, Australia, and come back and go right back in the lineup of softball. And everybody was okay with it. You know, because sometimes you would have had a class meet or something that would have been, you know, you're, all of a sudden, you know, all right, you're out, I'm back in. They weren't like that at all. Um, so they were, they were really, um, I remember um, I studied a lot and I was in the library. It was a Friday night and somebody came in and said, oh, there's an emergency, you got to come. So, well, they threw a surprise party for me because I was going on tour. Well, the library closed and my books were in there. So <laughs> we did some fun things. So um, I just had some really nice teammates oh, and professors. Um, I mean, that they they worked with me um, to really try to work ahead or take an exam as soon as I got back. And I would take the books and, you know, I would study like on the plane and wherever, you know, we had an opportunity in our dorm rooms or wherever we were. Um, but when we went on tour, we really got a chance to see a lot of the countries, you know, and, and do things. We had a manager who would organize things and um, even if it's to see a nuclear submarine or something in Australia or wherever it would be, going to the ambassador's house for dinner or something in a country or, you know, we I got to to be with Ronald Reagan at the White House and we got to be with Jimmy Carter. And so we, we got to, to do quite a bit. That was really neat to see. And many countries, Scotland, England, Wales, you know, Holland, Germany, New Zealand. So we traveled the world and, and it was a lot
0: of fun. So I have two questions. The first one being having that support system from your institution, your professors, your coaches, I'm assuming your, fa- your family as well. This had to be something that is invaluable to know that you had support and they were trusting you to get your work done, work ahead with you, but also train at an elite level. Like you mentioned having the support from your professors, but your family as well. Is that something that definitely played a role?
1: Yeah. Um, because I would come home and have a little bit of time to switch things around and pack all my gear and get all the Olympic stuff ready. And then they'd have to get me to the airport. So that's where we met the team. Um, and, you know, we didn't live in Philadelphia, so they had to get me to the Philadelphia airport somehow. And so they, they were great. They were at the Olympics, um, which was great. They did not travel much, but when I started playing, they, they came to, to Germany to see me play. Um, the United States team played in New England. They drove up there to, to see me play. And this, these were people who, who didn't have, you know, they, they weren't that kind of people. Um, they went to Vancouver, Canada to see me play. Um, and then we're at the Olympics as well. And um, so I think it was a great experience for them in their lives too. Um, and, and a lot of fun. So without their support, of course, um, that would have been kind of hard to, to do. So they helped me get there.
0: That's, that's so cool. <laughs> I can't imagine being able to travel just to see, you play a sport that wasn't even your first sport really but the fact yeah. that you picked it up and were able to adapt that quickly is incredible cuz there is an art to learning that sport in particular mm-hmm. and knowing that it's so big in other countries even on mm-hmm. the men's side of thing it Absolutely. side of the field it's it's a whole different game in itself so did you No, I mean, everyone that's on the Olympic team knows how to play the sport, but is there, (laughs) is there some, anything you've noticed going to other countries? Like, wow, people actually know what the sport is compared to the United States.
1: Absolutely. A couple of things. Well, when I was in high school, I knew nothing and I just put these old pads on and, you know, I would just run out to get the ball. You know, we had to stay in circle. Of course I knew that rule. But I I think it was just my athletic ability that allowed me just to go slide into the ball or just go do something. And I wasn't afraid of anything. And um, so, and I would even tell the player ahead of me, I'd say, you you get one, but you leave one for me, you know, (laughs) have have a ball too. And I think it was that kind of athletic ability that really was, you know, I just didn't stand there and let people shoot. I was, it was a little bit more aggressive. And then I think what happened was, as the couple of years went by and we started seeing international people play, I began to see their style. And I began to see what made them successful. And I was doing some of the things just because it was natural athletic ability, but I was learning and watching how they would actually approach the ball and how they would actually go out and do those things and changed our entire um, gear. So the the pads and everything were different. I was probably one of the first to even wear a, a helmet. It was actually a face mask. At the time, it was the same one that ice hockey wore. Um, actually, the same guy um, that made a lot of the ice hockey ones made one for me, and um, and you know, so it was the equipment change. It was the way the positioning would be changed. Um, by watching some of the Dutch and Germans, they were really good at what they did. I did begin to adopt some of their techniques and stayed with being who I was. Um, and, and the combination, I think of those two things were, were
0: successful. Making it your own.
1: You know, another big thing that makes people successful is their attitude. Um, there were times when I might've been in the hole and it was hard to to dig out and one day at a time, one day at a time. and, And I would mark it on the calendar and just say, okay, um, emotionally, how were you, you know, physically, how were you? Um, you know if there are 10 shots that came at you 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 know you saved one you focus on that one and and tomorrow maybe two but you know you just have to work so hard sometimes and and you just have to know sometimes that that person deserved that shot to go in it was excellent and you know it just was a way of learning how to believe in yourself and encourage other people and put things in perspective and really be better at the mental game which i remember even in softball i was a catcher there were times i could not even throw that ball back to the pitcher i mean there are times when the mind really can interfere with your game and being able i think having a few of those experiences Um, rebound to new experiences to to learn from them and to continue to to learn from them to really approach things for the rest of my life in a different way so um, again I'm grateful for that because if I had not failed I would not have been successful and that's truly honest and that's the truth there were times I thought I have to give this up I can't do this and there were times my coach, there was a tour I didn't go on and she says, I think you need to stay home on this one. And of course I knew that I did, <laughs> you know? Um, and I worked really hard to, to get back um, and I did. And I think that was partly why I was an Olympian was because of the attitude I had. We could all play well, but it's the attitude.
2: Absolutely. That kind of get back on the horse mentality Mm -hmm. That's, you know, I say to our players, you're not always going to have a good touch. It's how you respond to what that touch was or what that pass was. That makes the difference between whether or not we're going to be successful Mm -hmm. collectively. Wow. That's really great. (laughs) Yeah. I mean,
1: they may make uh, a wrong pass here or there or make a decision, but that's okay. It's, that's the way you have to play. I remember that when I was coaching at Yale, there were some players that just, they didn't even go and tackle or go try to get the ball. They were just so afraid of failing, you know, that they held back. They attempted like they were trying, but they just, they wouldn't, weren't there genuinely. Mm-hmm. And, and they really had to struggle through that as well. Um, so it was a fear of failure, I think, that, that they weren't even aware of that was holding them back
0: and do you think having the ability to know yourself as as an athlete makes a difference like you said you you knew you needed that break but also your coach was like i think you should sit this one out having that wherewithal within yourself has to be a defining trait that you might not see in everyone but you you're an Olympian that's not like your defining trait by any mean but that has to come from a place very sentimental to know where you, where you stand.
1: I think I've seen people not be successful because they weren't able to, to be there. The question I go back and say, well, how did I get to be there? And, and I, I really think it was just athletics. I'll tell you a couple other stories that are interesting. When I was in elementary school. And I am older than you guys, but I'm not, you know, extremely old. So, yes, it was a while ago. To put things in perspective, women were not allowed. First of all, we weren't allowed to wear pants. We had to wear dresses. Just,
2: oh, boy, I would have been in trouble.
1: <laughs> and I remember I was in elementary school and they announced that we women could now wear pants. Well, of course, I didn't have a whole lot. But I went in my closet, and I found whatever ugly pants there were, and I wore them the next day. And I remember we were not allowed to run because, you know, hey, physical activity, whatever. It wasn't ladylike, you know, and you always had those stereotypes. So my brother and I would have a race home every day at lunchtime because then we'd go back to, to school. That's how it worked. But I couldn't run and start running until I got off the school grounds. So I had to walk fast until I could get across the street and be off the school grounds. And then I would just take off and start sprinting and, you know, we'd get home about the same time, but um, yeah, we weren't allowed to run. And so, so those were things that, but it didn't stop me from running. Um, uh, my brother would play touch football and he would bring his sister along and they let me play and nobody knew I was a girl, you know, it's like, they just let me play. I remember wanting a a, a softball glove. All I got to do was use my brothers and we'd be in the alley playing. And I wanted one for Christmas, but that wasn't a a ladylike gift. So I didn't get one. So I kept using the used ones, you know, that were my brothers until I was in ninth grade, until I saved up enough money to buy my own. And I had nothing to do with my parents or anything. You know, this was society. I was so proud of that glove. It was lots of different things. And I think, you know, it was too physical straining. You know, women shouldn't do these things. I climbed every tree there was, you know, whatever it was to have fun. Um, but it wasn't ladylike. And so I I had to live with people saying some things to me and like, oh, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. Um, I was always dirty and climbing and playing and um, it's just what I love to do. And I think I just was so lucky to have a brother, (laughs) you know, that was a real big thing. And we were close in age. So that was, and he was athletic. So that was fun. So we would go out on that basketball court every day and play and I would work on
2: my shot, how it worked. I have a feeling he didn't take it easy on you either.
1: That was also, you know, what else was, was uh, the, the big thing was women had, we had those big balls, you know, then, and they were really, now women's balls are smaller. Mm
2: -hmm. That makes a big difference. I like it. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I
2: can put a few more in the basket. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) Did you, did, so now I'm thinking about, you know, the psychological component obviously of that exists with athletics. Did that play a role in you? ultimately becoming a psychology professor? Is that something that you've always just been like, this makes sense to me?
1: The only role models I really had were teachers. So I thought I'll, I'll be an elementary teacher. That's kind of, that would be really cool. I, I always liked children. So, well, what happened was all the, the, the sports for elementary ed were from four o'clock to six. That wasn't gonna work. Obviously, you know why. <laughs> um, so I thought, well, I'll change my major. So I changed it to secondary ed, which was a little bit more popular and it was a little bit more, you know, didn't interfere as much, but it, it wasn't quite my cup of tea. And it was a psychology course I took that really was a great professor and and I liked the subject and I thought, hmm. So that's what I continued to pursue. And I didn't really know what I was going to do because I was still playing in the Olympics, you know, during my whole four years in college, three years in college, and then so when I graduated um, from my undergraduate, I had to figure out what I was going to do. Well, it wasn't really hard because a couple of people had offered me um, a grad assistant. And so from Massachusetts, Connecticut to California, and I was like, okay, who am I going to pick? Um, where am I going to go? So I chose University of Massachusetts and uh, majored in sport management. And I always thought maybe I would go in and be an athletic director. And one thing led to another. I just finished my master's and I'm out at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado and we're competing. Um, And one of the officials came over to me and she goes, I I heard you're graduating and you might be looking for a job. I wasn't looking for a job because I was still playing. You know, (laughs) she goes, well, we have a position open to coach hockey, um, basketball and lacrosse at Hollins, when i was at umass i went to i was going to do field hockey and softball but i switched from softball to lacrosse i never played lacrosse i didn't know anything about lacrosse but i figured i better learn how to play lacrosse because i felt like that was a match sometimes for these colleges because you had to coach two sports and field hockey and lacrosse tended to go more together than softball so i uh, and UMass was Division One lacrosse. It was great, and they they were so. I picked up the stick and tried to learn to do that, and I liked it. So anyway, I went down to Virginia and I got the invitation. That was the first year, '81, when I wasn't selected. '82, I got an invitation to come back on the U.S. to the U.S. team, and but we had to go in full-time residence training in Philadelphia. Oh, Philadelphia. That's not so. That's pretty good. But it was hard because I had to go to the um, head of the college and let them know I I need to leave and my students, and it was in the middle of my basketball season. And so there were a lot of tears, but I packed up and went to Philadelphia and trained um, 24 hours all the time, two years, whatever. But while I was there, very shortly as I moved in, Villanova University had an opening and it was part-time and it was hockey and lacrosse. And the Olympic coach said, I could probably make it work. So I became the head field hockey and lacrosse coach at Villanova. So I was doing that all the way to 84 games and part-time. It's it's all a time I had, you know? So then the Olympic games were over and we were at the um, ticker tape parade in New York. And there were five cities that all the medalists, We're on these three planes and we just went to Florida and we went to California and Texas and New York for the ticker tape parade. So I was at the ticker tape parade and all the athletes were marching in and some guy came over to me and he goes, I heard you're looking for a job. I said, yeah, okay. He says, "Uh, would you like to be the field hockey coach and assistant lacrosse coach at Yale? so i went this was like in august because the olympics are you know late in the summer and we're ticker tape parade and you know down with the president um, reagan and i went back to villanova and had to tell them i was leaving i said could you make this full time and they're like no and i'm like oh because i didn't want to leave i really enjoyed philadelphia and Villanova. so the kids were kind of crying and it was sad for me too it's you know how hard it is to so I went to Yale and, and uh, I stayed there for um, a number of years and that's when I decided I really liked my psychology. And I could, I could just see, it was almost like a war shock out there on the, on, the, on the field. I saw these players, fear of failure and struggling with certain things and all lots of things were going on. And, and I wanted to, to do more and I thought, you know what? I'm gonna go back and get my degree in psychology and it made me, I wanted to be a clinician. And that's how that all happened. And So um, I applied to a bunch of schools and I got into the University of Pennsylvania for my master's and came back to Philadelphia to do that. And then therefore, right after that, I got into Temple's PhD program. And um, all along, I was still playing around, doing some coaching and volunteering and whatever I could fit in with my full-time academics. And I came back to the Lehigh Valley thinking I was gonna work at the Children's Hospital and but it wasn't quite yet developed i didn't want to go back to the city and i got into a private practice and somebody said hey would you ever think of teaching a class Cedarcrest has a has a course open in psychology i thought okay i never taught i don't know how to teach i didn't know a thing so i'm like okay so i get there and i'm, I'm doing this and i enjoyed it and the chair of the department said, well, couldn't you do another one? I'm like, okay. (laughs) So now I'm doing full-time clinical work and adjuncting. And he's like, well, you know, I think we might have a full-time position coming open. And so the following year, um, cognitive psychology professor left and I put my name in, but I didn't get it. That's not my degree. The following year, uh, like a neuroscience put my name in, but I didn't get it. He's like, please wait, because clinical will be open soon because the guy was going to retire. And then I put my name out to a national search, which is what I didn't want to do because I've been living all over, you know, and my family is from the Berks County area. And uh, I got the job full-time at Cedar Crest. um, And I've been here
2: 25, 26 years. So... And it all comes back, in my head, to you... I have all all new things that get thrown at you, You're like, all right, yeah, we'll try it. Yeah, there was. <laughs> I, I mean, if you if you told me I was going to be a
1: college professor, I, I I would have never thought that. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what my next journey is. Um, I never knew what the journey was then either. You know, I it'll be something. I don't know. I'd I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue, but yeah, it's, it's a story, but that's how it evolved.
2: Yeah. It, it, yeah. It just, there are a lot of things I'm thinking. I'm like, I'm like, Ooh, I don't want to, I don't know if I'm comfortable doing that. And you just jump in with both feet and win a bronze medal doing it. I, you know what? I think,
1: I think it may sound like me, but I really think the key to this, it was other people. Had it not been that field hockey coach, you know, had it not been the Olympic coach who believed in me and teammates, had it not been Ellis Honick, who was the chair of the psychology department, who just was encouraging. Um, so I, I think it's the people that have been so warm and welcoming and encouraging that gave me the opportunity that made me say, sure. Yeah. Um, So I've been really blessed with really good people and and a a very, I would say satisfying life and and a lot of um, great opportunities that other people have helped pave the way for. For me. That's just
2: awesome, fantastic, inspiring. All it's one of those all those above things. It's just so I don't even know what word it is. Besides, I just want to be like, that is so great <laughs> for mm-hmm. everything.
0: Dr. Moyer, thank you so much for spending part of your day with us and just reflecting on your amazing career and everything you've accomplished. And being able to just take in every aspect of life that it throws at you. It's, it's very inspiring and i have it's been an honor to be able to talk with you and, and Sarah about everything that you've done and still have yet to do.
2: Thank you very much. Both of you. Thank you. Yes. It's certainly been a great afternoon. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat.
0: Thank you so much for tuning into On The Wing, the Cedar Crest Athletics Podcast. To stay connected to all things Cedar Crest Falcons, head to our website at cedarcrestathletics.com. Also, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be on the lookout for our next episode, where we will be highlighting the Cedar Crest athletic trainers, Kelly Fleming and Amanda Stapinski to celebrate Athletic Trainers Appreciation Month. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, LJ Smith, signing off.